knew that we were better than that. Not that we were better than third in the world, but we were better than the finishes that we were putting out week after week. And it's one thing to finish ninth and know that you gave everything you had and you performed at a high level and you played to your level of expectation. But it's a completely different thing when you're finishing ninth and you are not playing the way you want and you're not executing the game plans and the skills the way you want. So that's where we were at. So heading into 2019, um, we had learned our lesson. We Neither of us had been in the position in that we had been ranked so highly in the world. So we obviously, it was a learning process of how to maintain that level. And so we were ready to head into 2019. Yeah, heading into the world championships, we had a couple rough finishes. Um, we had one of our, well, actually our worst finish ever in the Czech Republic in late May. And then a fifth in Poland where we did not, again, didn't play the way we wanted to. So heading into Worlds wasn't feeling amazing. And even fighting through group play, like we had some battles. I think we went three sets almost every game and we were just still trying to figure it out, work into the rhythm. And we had to really fight through to come out on top of our pool. But it was like the minute playoffs hit, like a switch was turned and it was like, okay, enough. Hey, everybody. Thank you. Yeah, we, uh, AVP posted a little, little video of me. That was nice of them. Hello. So we got over 150 people right now are registered for this. So I'm pretty fired awesome. about that. Not everybody always shows up, but pretty shows how excited people are for this week. Yeah, this is, we've really kind of struck gold in the last two weeks talking to some high level athletes and I'm still getting to know Sarah. I got to spend Thanksgiving with her and that was actually the first time I had met her. Amazing person. And then since I met her at Thanksgiving, I've had the pleasure of going out and working with her and Melissa a couple times. Hasn't really gotten to be as consistent as I am kind of hoping for once all this gets back. But just knowing them on the very little level that I do, they're both amazing people and I can tell that the intensity and the competitive nature that Sarah has is something that I'm striving to get back into my game. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm just really interested to kind of hear a lot about her mindset and going into big games and obviously moving forward into the Olympics. I'm, I'm interested to see where her head's at. I've been watching, Sarah, we don't, we don't talk that much, so this will probably be the longest conversation we've had, but I've been watching her since college like since her days at Nebraska. Yeah. I think she was there in the middle of their transition from being like a pretty popular women's team to having to move into a new gym. Like they were getting so many fans over there. And, and you know, John Cook leading the way, uh, who is now like considered one of the world's best indoor coaches and just absolutely crushing it. So I do want to hear what her pathway to NCAA was like, you know, then moving into beach and just like utterly dominating. She's and number it's, one in the world right now. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, and I actually something I'm, I, I'm also a little interested with is like most of the time, and she'll obviously be able to go more, of, tell us more about this, but most of the time you have indoor players that play indoor and then they play as, as long as they kind of want to or as long as they feel like they can. And then they make the complete switch over to beach. But I don't think that she uh, had that experience. I think she's kind of been or was bouncing back and forth for quite a while. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I'm kind of, I'm, I'm really interested to just hear a little bit more about that as well. I can't wait to hear more uh, on her rivalry with Alex in April. Uh, that's that's going to be exciting to me because we can see right here for the number one ranking, right? It's just 200 points apart, which is 
tight race, and then you got two Brazilians on the heel. Can't believe how well Australia is doing. Um, they've been like, since I was there, I was, when I played in Australia, they were like just coming up. What's her name? Otarto de Solar. Um, and she was like a kid when I was there. Oh, <laughs> and cool. now she's like number, uh, right here, number five in the world. So, yeah. I mean, especially with the last couple of weeks, having, getting the chance to talk to a few uh, Australian players, you can kind of see why they keep bouncing towards the top with all the, all the experience and all the knowledge that they have as well. Unique ways of thinking about it. I would, do you have anything? I mean, I want to, this is, I, I do want to let some people appear for the next two minutes just so that they can um get their calendars going but uh i would love to yeah well i think we're uh we're not completely strapped for time by any means but um i think uh i know sarah has another live webinar today so um yeah i'd like to if we if we're ready let's uh go ahead and bring her on and get this conversation going i'm sure uh this whole time will be full of gold so whenever people join in they'll uh They'll get some pretty good information. Absolutely. Okay. So let's give it a shot here. Sarah, we are promoting you to panelists. So ready the camera, ready the audio. Do your hair and makeup like Mark and I have done. Am I there? You are there. You oh are. Look at you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. I was getting a little nervous. I didn't know if I was supposed to like be seen or not. So I'm glad this is working. Oh, Perfect. Yeah. We probably got to send like a, a, a pre-package to everybody because it's yeah. not the first time we've heard about They're like, am I on? <laughs> am I not on? And yeah. Like, we do a little intro that you get warmed up. So you see how we're chatting. I mean, the intro was great. You're putting a little bit of pressure on me. I don't um, know how much gold I'm going to be <laughs> spitting today, but uh, hopefully some useful stuff for people. We'll see. Well, I, I know this, the conversations that we've had have already been uh, pretty knowledgeable for me. Um, and you're just fun to yeah. talk to. So, um, oh. like, I, I appreciate you coming on and talking to everybody, especially in this time where not able to get outside and play. What have you, uh, how have you been? How are you handling everything? Are you uh, stay, staying busy somewhat? Actually, I think I'm more busy now than usual. Don't know how that's happening. Yeah, so obviously I can't practice, but I'm kind of psycho when it comes to like working out and staying in a semblance of a routine. So I've been working out in some form every day. Um, I'm taking an accounting class and the semester's almost over. So I've been studying for that. My co I'm like not great at social media. It's just not a priority for me usually, but I'm like, okay, this is the time that I have to like get my game up. So I've been like trying to like do some YouTube videos and stuff like that. I have a pottery wheel. I'm like 80. So I'm like <laughs> in my garage. The most exciting life I've ever heard about. With my pottery yeah. wheel. Accounting. You're doing pottery. <laughs> like all over the place. I clearly have no direction, but it's fine. Yeah. I'm actually having a lot of fun and using this as an opportunity to like. So Sarah, I heard you say, and I actually watched a couple of your, uh, YouTube videos recently. Um, I'm gonna, I'm going to kind of paste. I'm gonna share some links in the chat for everybody just so they can, uh, uh, they can follow. Not sure if that's everything. Um, okay, got it. Cool. Yeah, sorry, my computer is about as old as uh, it can be. So, <laughs> and your, so your uh, Instagram, Sarah, is uh, Sarah underscore Patton, right? 
Yeah. Yes. All right. So guys, if you are watching and you have not followed Sarah, you just heard that she's upgrading her social media. She's about to fire. Exciting times. <laughs> Exciting times. I mean, my current track record with Instagram is like a post every month. So I think it can only go up from there. And yeah, I, I'm just like hiring somebody or, you know, like kind of just saying like, hey, do I have any, well, super fans would be weird. Um, but like somebody who just wants to take it over for you and just post like Sean Rosenthal, he's got a couple of friends that like, they'll come some of his coaches during practice, they'll just like shoot some pictures during practice, oh, really? they'll post. Yeah. Um, so some of his posts are his own, but some of them he's just like, man, I, I don't really want to do this, but I know that I want to yeah. fans. So see that's also a problem because i'm kind of a control freak so like <laughs> i would have a really hard time like giving control of that to somebody when it's like me and like my brand or whatever um mm -hmm. yeah i'm in a tough spot yeah. i don't yeah. love it but i don't want anybody else to do it so i guess i need to figure that out yeah and i i also linked uh you have a website right sarahpavin.com I do also um, on my list of things to update in these coming weeks. It's been well, a while. I, I went on it and uh, I mean, other than updating a little bit more, the content is amazing. Thank um, you. I, I was uh, kind of, I got a little sidetracked in reading all of your stories and uh, especially, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, um, talking about the world champs and all that stuff and like the mindset that went into it beforehand and everything like that. So um, yeah, I think the website's pretty cool too. And, and I also saw that you're posting like blogs with the videos that you're creating for, so you're doing like on uh, at, a lot of at home drills, right? You're kind of helping people out through, through this time. Yeah, right now, I mean, obviously nobody can go to the gym or have access to like one like personal coaching so i know a lot of kids and a lot of people are getting a little antsy not wanting to like lose their touch on the ball because <laughs> yeah it's like once you get into the rhythm you don't want to lose it and then you have to fight to get it back so just like little at home things that you can do just like by yourself against the wall or like if you have a partner or your mom can like toss to you just like really easy stuff that you can do at home. Hey, awesome. do you have any, you said, you know, because I've, I've definitely felt that where you, you haven't played for maybe a couple of weeks, maybe a month, or you took an off season and like your first few weeks coming back to playing beach, for me anyway, I feel like, like garbage. Like I know that like my old habits, whatever my body wants to do, like they come back and I go through this period of underperforming compared to how I'm used to because I think like oh well this is how I played in October it's now February so I should play how I played in October do you go through that period of uh suckiness for a time when you're like coming back to ball work and how do you get through it if you do you guys I'm really old so um and I've been doing this for a really 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 long time so I think my muscle memory is just at the point where it's just it's easy to come back but I will say for the longest time in my career when I was really young um, through my 20s even there would definitely be a period where you just have to get back into it and I think that's totally normal um, I think the big thing with beach especially is just getting your sandbags back and that is one thing that I'm very scared of for this time is just like I got in such good shape for the season and now I'm gonna have to do it again I think it's completely normal with it. like volleyball is such a skill-based sport. Um, it's not like how 
strong, fast, whatever. It's just very, very technical. So it always takes time to get back. Something that I have started doing as I get older and older is um, visualizing. And I don't even consciously do it. I just find myself like daydreaming about performing skills. And I used to think that that was crazy when I was young. And I used to think that it was so stupid and there's no way that that's actually going to do something. But the older I've gotten, the more I've found myself doing it and actually seeing myself performing skills is a type of training. Um, And I do think that that does help if you can't get out into the sand or on the court necessarily. I think that's a huge tip to be able to look at that. See, like my daydreaming of volleyball was uh, in in college, I would wake up because I thought a ball was flying at my head. (laughs) Probably the maximum of my visualization. (laughs) That's awesome. So so did you, uh, we know that you played a lot of indoor. We kind of talked about that for a second. Um, Would you mind giving us like a little rundown of your history of playing? Um, Like when you... Uh. Because I know, because one thing that I was talking to Mark about was um, a lot of times when, especially with you coming from indoor and playing in college and then going overseas and playing for the Canadian national team and everything like that, there wasn't really like a hard switch for you per se of like from indoor to beach. Um, We kind of just, I know it's a lot, but try to sum that up. We can break I mean, it into the jumps. first like, chunk yeah. of my life taking yeah. there. Like, okay, um, so when did you play your first indoor tournament? Like, easy start. So I started, like, or you're talking, like, when I started. First ever indoor tournament. Okay. Uh, I started playing club when I was 10. Okay. Uh, first um, beach tournament. <laughs> well, we played, like, really random ones. Like, I played a couple times in high school, but, like, none of us knew what we were doing. We were all indoor players. I would, and then I played, like, there was this, like, collegiate sand nationals the year after we won um, the NCAA championship. So me and Jordan Larson actually got sent for our school to San Diego, and the top eight women's programs sent two players. So that was, like, the first time that I, like, kind of played beach volleyball. Before it was, like, an NCAA, like, popular sport, they said, hey, we're kind of starting a beach thing. Uh, send us some of your really good athletes so they can try out this. That's basically what it was. Was it the, was it the top eight teams in the nation, like for indoor? Yeah. So I remember like Minnesota sent a team, uh, Stanford sent Bryn Kehoe and Cynthia Barbosa, I think. Gosh, I think Penn State sent people, uh, UCLA. Like it was, it was a bunch of us huge indoor girls trying to figure this out i don't know how it looked but we won so that was great oh Um, so is that kind of this was that kind of the spark that you're like oh this is kind of fun too i mean i always thought it was fun but i never in my life thought that i would actually play it yeah after college like my goal all along was to go play pro overseas and so I did that right after college I went to Italy and then I had been with the Canadian indoor team since I was 16 yeah it was cr- it was really scary like, <laughs> so let, gr- let's unwrap that for a second okay, so, <laughs> so you're, you're playing in high school you've been playing since since you're 10 and beach is not even on the radar yet uh, but you're probably doing really well in club <laughs> uh, and you're at yeah. club now at what age did you first start to get recruited for NCAA because you're playing in Canada at this time aren't you yeah so I grew up in Canada I was living 
outside of Toronto. So yeah, my parents let me start when I was 10 and I loved it, but I was playing everything. Like I played club basketball, club soccer, tennis. Like I was fully immersed in sports. Um, Started trying out for junior national teams and stuff when I was 13 and then started getting recruited to go to the NCAA in ninth grade. Um, In ninth grade. Yeah. Was there anybody around you that was um, going through the same experience? Like, did you have any teammates that were also, uh, you know, in that recruitment state Um, that early, that young? I would say probably not. The rest of my teammates started getting recruited in our junior year. Um, But I knew right from the start that – I mean, growing up in Canada, you don't really know a ton about the different schools and like what the opportunities are. So I knew that I wasn't going to commit until my senior year just because I wanted to have all my information. Um, So wait, you you were starting to get recruited in ninth grade and you said, I'm not going to tell you until I'm a senior. Yeah, because I didn't know anything like I didn't have access to any of the schools to like visit them except like the Big Ten schools in like Ohio and Michigan. How did you uh, expand pressure from friends from other from like college coaches who were like, oh, you should tell me now, like as a sophomore, like you should tell me um, now that you're coming to my school. That because definitely most happens. Now they say, right, like if, if you're a senior, like it's too late for you to get recruited because their their plans are all set. Yeah. And I, I was very transparent with my decision making. And I told them like, listen, if you need to give this spot, like I totally understand, but I need to make the decision that's right for me. Um, So I was prepared to give up those opportunities if they needed to make a decision. But I knew that I was going to be spending four years of my life at a place and I wanted to be as comfortable there as possible. And I wanted to be as fully informed as possible. So I knew that, yeah, I might lose some opportunities in schools that seem really cool, but for me, my happiness and feeling comfortable was more important. Do you think your your parents gave you that confidence and and supported you there? Or was that just like, was that just completely on you? Because I remember college, thinking about college was like, man, there's so much pressure right now. To make a decision right now and I feel like yeah. these sophomore girls who are in high school they're going through that and like yet they have a hundred different people giving them advice over where they should in three years where they should go and spend five years of their life yeah and I don't want for fear of sounding like a jerk like I'm I was very fortunate in that I had a lot of options Hmm. Um, and I know that that's not the case for everybody so I'm speaking from my experience that potentially looks a lot different than than other people's does Um, but I can totally understand if you have limited options if somebody tells you you have to decide right now of course it's very compelling to want to do that Hmm. Um, but my parents had my back in that 100%. They actually encouraged it. Because um, not only was I going to spend four years there, I was going to spend four years in a different country, um, far away from everything I knew. Um, so, again, my situation was a little bit different in several regards, but um, I think well, it worked out. <laughs> I, I think it's pretty, you know, um, 
I'm not going to say heroic, but I, <laughs> I, I think it's awesome that you can recognize that, that you're at a different place than other people where you're like, Hey, you know what? At 16, I was recruited to the national team. You know, I'm, I am in a different place. So there's going to be a different pathway for everybody. Mm -hmm. And you made the best out of the unique pathway that you've had. And I think that that's amazing. And that that's the lesson there that everybody has their own path and that you got to make the decisions unique to you and what's available to you. Yeah, definitely. And I think, uh, that's a big thing that a lot of kids right now are facing is that they see what their friends are doing. They're seeing, you know, what the people on Instagram are doing and they feel like they're like missing out or they're behind or they have to catch up and, and that shouldn't be the case. And I know that it's hard to get away from that mindset. Um, when you're seeing what everybody around you is doing but yeah like you said everybody has a different path and everybody has you know different goals different skill sets different priorities even so one kid might use volleyball as a vehicle to get an education whereas another one volleyball is the the end goal so that whole process is going to look different too so um it's just knowing who you are and knowing what your priorities are hey brandon can we get into the uh, can we get into the lightning round I like that. Sarah, are you up for a little uh, lightning round? Uh, so you get a quick yes or no to some, some questions that <laughs> Mark has prepared for you. Okay, I'm scared. <laughs> no, you're fine. Is you're this like rapid it. fire? Like I have to answer like first instinct or what? Pretty much. Are you yeah, going to get me in trouble in some way? I'm not going to get you into trouble. You'll be fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay, so we already went over, did you play indoor before you played beach? And uh, your first beach tournament, was your first beach tournament uh, that college tournament, the championship, or had you played any form of tournament before that? I had played a couple tournaments in high school. Okay, cool. Now let's start it. Would you rather be taller or jump higher? <laughs> be taller than I am? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'll say jump higher. Cool. Uh, how tall are you, Sarah, so that everybody knows who's watching? <laughs> I'm a 6'5". Okay. Um, would you rather your partner be a great passer or a great setter? Who's getting served more? <laughs> Lightning <laughs> round, Sarah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, okay. Kids, work on your setting. A great setter is a difference maker. I want my partner to be a good setter. Okay. Uh, do you want your partner to be a great server or a great digger? Ooh. <laughs> great digger. Okay. Would you rather them be taller or more agile? More agile. Okay. Height doesn't matter if you can play the game. Like it. Pass low or pass high? Pass high so I can swing on two. Set low or set high? Set high because I'm really tall. <laughs> <laughs> Is it better to be athletic or smart? Oh, shoot. Smart. When it really comes down to it, the smart players are the ones that win. All right. Uh, number one most important thing in choosing a partner. I would say, I don't want to say compatibility, but you don't really know when you're partnering up with somebody. I would say complementary skill sets. Don't play with somebody that's like you. Interesting. Okay. Mm. Um, would you rather get more aces or side out better right now? You got a magic Where I am in my career right now? Yeah. I need to improve my serving, get more aces. Okay. Would you rather get more blocks or side out better right now? 
Getting blocks is so satisfying. Get more blocks. <laughs> I like it. Okay, uh, lift fast or lift heavy? Depends what phase of the season you're in. I'm gonna say, let's think that I'm gonna play sometime soon, lift fast. All right, but you're lifting heavy in the off season then? Yeah. How many times a week do you lift in preseason? Four. How many times a week do you lift in season? Two and a half. Most important lower body exercise? Mm, RDLs. Most RDLs. Most important upper body exercise? Row. Favorite stretch? Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Probably the frog stretch. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, one, the wide knees. And then yeah, like, it's like, up. yeah. I, like I think that. they actually call that the best stretch ever. That's what it says in the dictionary. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, you have to pick a partner of the opposite sex. Who do you pick? Brandon, duh. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, we're both blockers. That might not go so well. Actually, yeah. you know what? Oh, uh, but we're both lefties. I was going to say Smedin's. Mm. But we're both left-handed, so that might be tricky. You know what? Christian Sorum. Yeah. Nice. Good choice. He has missed, by the way, quick fact, um, in the last two years, he has missed less than 1% of his serves. Damn. That's why they win. Unreal. Serving um, guys. <laughs> okay. Uh, so bait and switch or straight up when you're playing defense? I've played defense a total of zero times. Um, <laughs> like what are you are you when running twos and fours or ones and twos if you have to pick one strategy you're the blocker I know I'm gonna say you guys I can't even predict what I'm gonna do at the net half the time <laughs> um I'm gonna say bait and switch okay okay dinner before game day pasta chicken probably dessert because I always have dessert <laughs> breakfast on game day I usually have yogurt with granola and a piece of bacon because bacon's the best. <laughs> I like it. Uh, <clears throat> what statistic do you think? What statistic separates the Sunday teams from the Friday teams? Transition percentage. Ooh. Hmm. Uh, who is the most frustrating player to compete against? Oh man. Are we talking like AVP or everywhere? Everywhere. Everywhere most frustrating player oh shoot that's tricky oh you know who's pretty frustrating Taliqua Clancy okay Australia yeah man you got to get your ass up to the net quick or you're gonna get ripped in the face and then if you get up to the net they'll just set a ball to the pin and then you're screwed anyway so that's pretty <laughs> annoying looping Australia offense yeah. non-stop we uh we had Damian Schumann their top defender on uh last week and he you know he talked about how they were like Every opportunity is an opportunity for on two. Yeah. They execute it so well. It's impressive. Okay. And then uh, what player did you, while you were growing up, or do you right now, watch to learn from? Logan Tom. Logan Tom. Um, nice. Indoor. Yeah. Indoor I, for a while, right? Of the national team. She was arguably the best in the world for a very long time. Her life all the goals that I had set for myself as a child she was several years older than me she had achieved those so I used her as the the example and I wanted to be her 
And interestingly enough, we ended up playing professionally together in Brazil one season, which was super cool. All right. Um, and then there's one more question. What job do you think you want to do when beach volleyball is over for you? In 20 years, unplanned. Uh, yeah, for sure 20 years from now. I always thought that I would get away from volleyball when I'm done with it, but I think I'm here to stay. So I think something that I'm super passionate about is just giving back to the younger generation. And there were so many people involved in helping me get to where I am today. So if I can play just like a small part in helping kids do that and do what I've gotten to do, then I will feel amazing. So whether that's like mentorship, consulting, offering like recruiting support or coaching in any way, like I can see myself doing that. Good life. Well played. Well played. (laughs) (laughs) It's a a little bit of a slow lightning storm at some parts but uh i'm sorry i had to make but we're sure still I going quick i like it no. <laughs> no it was perfect it was great oh that's that's awesome uh so i kind of want to get back to we do want to talk a little bit about some some skill stuff when we're for blocking but we'll save that for a little bit but i was reading again this morning your kind of trip up to world champs uh this past year and uh winning that but going i kind of want to build up to that so i'm going to write the story for you right now it was kind of saying i think in uh 2017 you you guys said that you that was kind of you and melissa's kind of breakout year right like you guys had a pretty solid year as far as finishes go uh that was our first season together um our goal going into that season was Um, to be ranked top 10 in the world. Melissa had been an up and coming player and, you know, she was switching to the left side. She had never played on the left um, and we were making the push. um, So she was just coming into it. So we didn't want to go too crazy. So yeah, the goal was to be top 10 in the world and we finished number two, which was really cool, especially for our first season together. And so obviously we had big expectations heading into 2018. And uh, like looking back, it really wasn't that bad. But in the moment, we were like, oh my gosh, we're terrible. Like this is so, the season went awful. Like we finished ninth so many times, which you guys, it's not a bad finish. Like don't judge me. It's not a bad finish, but for what we were expecting, for what we were expecting of our, we actually finished the season third in the world, which is why looking back, it wasn't bad, but like it was consistently finishing ninth with an odd win or like an odd fifth, but we just were expecting more from ourselves. Um, so it was really disappointing. Again, don't hate on me. I know it was, it was ended up being really good. So well, heading in- there, you know, like everybody has to set their own goals and I do, we do want to talk about that in a second. But no one's going to judge you for saying like, man, it was a crappy season because you have your goals. And I think everybody needs to understand that. Um, and we help them here understand that the like insecurities that they're feeling on the court, like, man, I am a crap passer. The number one world, like the number one female player in the world right now is probably going through the exact same and has gone through the exact same mental situations of like passing a ball, shanking one and being why am I even on this court? You know, like telling yourself like to get it together. Yeah. I think um, the elite level performers probably have more consistency and just have better tools to mentally get out of that funk. So for anybody who's watching, like, yeah, Sarah, Sarah's got her goals and they're different than yours, but that she just told you that doesn't get you out of that 
same insecurity that every beach volleyball player feels at one moment or another. Totally. Go, go on with your, uh, so you're third in the world and you're like, oh, I suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it was just, we knew that we were better than that. Not that we were better than third in the world, but we were better than the finishes that we were putting out week after week. And it's one thing to finish ninth and know that you gave everything you had and you performed at a high level and you played to your level of expectation but it's a completely different thing when you're finishing ninth and you are not playing the way you want and you're not executing the game plans and the skills the way you want so that's where we were at so heading into 2019 um we had learned our lesson we neither of us had been in the position in that we had been ranked so highly in the world so we obviously it was a learning process of how to maintain that level and so we were ready to head into 2019 yeah, heading into the world championships, we had a couple rough finishes. Um, we had one of our, well, actually our worst finish ever in the Czech Republic in late May, and then a fifth in Poland, where we did not, again, didn't play the way we wanted to. So heading into Worlds wasn't feeling amazing. And even fighting through group play, like we had some battles. I think we went three sets almost every game and we were just still trying to figure it out, work into the rhythm. And we had to really fight through to come out on top of our pool. But it was like the minute playoffs hit, like a switch was turned and it was like, okay, enough. Here we go. That's, um, um, we're sorry to kind of backtrack for a second. Um, were you, so you said that you're, you're kind of, you weren't feeling normal on the court and stuff like that. Were you also feeling that way in practice or like, were your practices pretty solid? Like, you're really happy with the way you're playing, but it just wasn't transitioning to the tournaments. Like, was that? I'm trying to think of what the sequence was. So Czech Republic was the first leg of the Europe stretch, and we were going to go, like, seven or eight weeks in a row. So we went to Czech Republic. Our coach wasn't there. Then we stayed in, at a training camp in Prague alone. Then we played in uh, Poland and Adam came because Scott couldn't come. So it was just like, we weren't completely in our routine. Our, our, like, mm -hmm. our coach wasn't there. We were kind of figuring it out for ourselves. And then Scott joined in Germany. You know, having the coach on the road definitely makes a huge difference. So it's not like we were even getting that many chances to practice. We were just like back-to-back -back tournaments, just grinding it out. Yeah. So did it gotcha. feel like a grind at the time? Did it feel like, you know, there's like, there's an apple that's just too high where you're trying to reach and grab it, like, and you know, it's right there if you get the right jump. Or uh, was it more like, no, nah, we're doing great. We're doing great. Shoot, that's unlucky. Um, did you know that there was another gear that you could could kick it into at the time? Or were you just thinking, yeah. we got to fight? It was incredibly frustrating. Because I remember in Czech, we were up huge in the third set and blew it. In Poland, we crushed the team in the first set and then just blew it. Um, so it was just a lot of inconsistency and not really having the like take it attitude. We we're more like being passive and letting the game happen to us. So we definitely weren't happy about it and we could feel it. Um, and there was a lot of frustration for sure. What did you attribute the inconsistency or the shift to consistency to? Was it a mental change? Was it physical? Was it just feeling each other? Because you've been I pretty hard think... consistent the last two years. <laughs> well, from that point on, yeah, it was great. I honestly think it's a mindset thing. And it's so funny how a lot of people play to the score. So 
it's like you see that you're up five points in the third set and you're like oh no way we can lose this and then all of a sudden your passing isn't as crisp you're walking out of your of your set your serve isn't that precise and it's just like why does that change it doesn't have to change every single point is an opportunity to execute at a high level the numbers on the scoreboard shouldn't shouldn't affect that um i think that maybe played a role into it is just a mindset shift of like no we are taking it we're going to take every opportunity that's given to us if we dig a ball we're going to score and it's just reframing every point as a chance to to win no no relaxing Every point is like, we're not going to, you never hit cruise control during a match. Um, and you take every point as, do you measure what happened uh, in the last five to 10 points? I know you're not keeping score, but are you keeping mental stats over like what that player is doing or how they've been successful or what they're going to try to do next? Or do you just have a complete blank mind coming into each point? No, I am... I'm keeping track of everything that's happening for the whole match. Um, I am always remembering every single serving strategy we do, what response that elicited from the other player, what blocking call we had. So I am keeping track of everything in my head um, throughout the whole match. And then I'm able to, to make a more informed decision when the ball, when the game really gets down to the line after having all the the pieces in my mind for what's happened for the the plays before that um i think that that's doesn't a lesson that Sorry. a lot of our players have been learning more and more from everybody that we have on is that all of the greatest players in the world are the ones that basically have a track in their mind that they have their own stat sheet of what what that what that team already does and then in the game what has or hasn't been working like a statistic sheet of all right she's got four cut shots um so we gotta we gotta bank on a play that's going to get that cut shot and stop that bleeding and then maybe she's comfortable enough we're going to go back to it at the end of the match but i think a lot of amateur players and definitely myself included never keep a mental stat sheet in their mind so that you're not you're not aware of how you're bleeding you know, it's like, oh, there's blood coming from somewhere. <laughs> Where is it? Yeah. I think, you know, first and foremost, you have to take care of your own side of the net. So if you're struggling, you need to figure your own stuff out. Like, pass the ball well. Give my partner a nice early call. You know, pass for two because I'm sucking siding out right now like little things like that i think as you get to the higher levels or if the game is tight and it's a really high intensity high performing match yeah for sure that's when the strategy comes into it more but if you're just struggling to side out like you need to focus on you for for sure and you know not every player operates in the mindset of being able to keep track of stats the whole time that is the role that i have for my team Oh, okay. Um, so that's, that's you yeah. and that's, that's not Melissa. So you're kind of the in-game re-strategist every now and then. Yeah. So like, it's not every player's strength and it doesn't have to be, but you have to know what you bring to the table. And for me, I have, I'm very fortunate that I have an incredibly strong memory and 
so yeah that is what I bring to our team is designing the plays and like in timeouts reminding our team of what has been happening up until that point it's I, I love that you said I, I played one tournament with Peter Marciniak and I'm not going to steer this to me at all but he he said hey you know at one point he was looking at Theo and he goes every time he's here he hits here every time he's here he hits there and so I just went and looked for that situation from that point forward and then like I, I broke a dig record for myself in an AVP match and I was like ah, all right now 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 this is where my mindset has to be like what is somebody what position is somebody in when they're hitting a certain shot and is that their rule is that like the rule for that player because everybody has a certain tendency yeah um, and it's amazing that you're like the, the cerebral type whereas like in in my partnership I was not the cerebral stat keeper you know yeah, but you have to be okay and comfortable knowing what your role is. And it has to be okay, you have to be okay accepting and receiving feedback from your teammate. So there are times when I'll turn to Mel and I'll be like, hey, what do you think about my left hand? Did I leave too much in the seam for you on that one? And if she says yes, it's nothing personal. It's like, okay, I got you. I'll, that's my ball. Or if I turn and they hit a ball outside my block and Mel's behind me, I'll be like, Hey, I think you're a little bit behind my block get outside my hand so that you can make that, you can definitely dig that ball. And it's nothing personal. It's we're helping each other and telling each other what we see. I'm at the net face to face with every single hitter. So if I see something like, Hey man, when she's doing a cut shot, do you notice that she's like kind of leaning back just a little bit? Wow. And it's like, that might be something that, you know, Mel has a lot of things that she's looking for. Maybe she didn't notice that. And it's not me telling her that I know better than her. It's me just relaying information that I saw in a, a hopefully constructive way. Um, so you got to put your ego away, especially in beach volleyball, because there's only two of you on the court. You guys have to share information you have to tell each other what you're seeing. And, you know, maybe she did see that. And at that point she's like, yeah, you're right. I saw that good catch. And there you go. It's, you have to constantly be communicating about things like that. I think, so, yeah, go ahead, Brandon. I love that bit on communication of making sure that you know that your partner might be seeing or looking at something differently than you. So if you never talk about it, if you never open your mouth and say like, this is what I'm seeing, what are you seeing? Uh, if you don't have that conversation, you might, you might miss a crucial part of how you're winning or how you're losing. And that yeah. might be the key. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so you, you said obviously that you're, you're keeping charge or you're keeping track of all the stats and or thinking about the game in a very cerebral way. Um, did you have, how did you have that conversation with Melissa and then, did you kind of give her some responsibilities as well to kind of be like, okay, I'm going to do this. So I need you to help me with this or. Um, I don't know if it was really a conversation. I think like when we started playing together, you know, like I said, Melissa had never played on the left. She had, she was like a young player who was making the push to come to the top. So our first year together, she was just absorbing a lot of information from Scott and you know just the way that our team operates um so i don't think it was necessarily a conversation i think everything that's happened with our team has happened organically um and you know with melissa i will say that 
she plays her best when she's relaxed and when she's joyful. Um, and so I think that is something that she has honestly brought to me because I am incredibly intense and would not four years ago. Yeah. I would not be the person that's like smiling on the court, but, um, she allows me to show that side of myself and in being able to show that to her, it helps her play better too, if that makes sense. Um, 100%. Yeah. So she definitely brings that, that energy aspect um, that really helps our team function because, um, you know, we've gotten so many comments from people that were really fun to watch and it's because we genuinely love it and we love being on the court together. Um, and we show our competitiveness in different ways for sure. But um, she has allowed the fun to come back into it. That's awesome. Yeah, I think uh, finding that, like you said before, the compatibility with a partner um, certainly is important. Um, and it's crazy, like once you find that with somebody, how much more, it's almost like falling back in love with the sport. Yeah. Um, I know I've had that happen to me a few times and, um, it's really cool to hear, hear from someone playing at the top level that that can happen as well. Yeah. So. Um, I mean, even in some of our like most difficult moments in matches or matches where it was like so tight that like everybody's like shitting their pants, it's like, <laughs> we'll like look at each other and honestly just like make eye contact or just smile and it's okay and never in a million years that i think i'd be the person at 14 14 after blowing four points who's turning and smiling at my partner like never <laughs> but you know it that it works for us and it brings a sense of calm and a sense of um unity to what we do and it's really really cool oh, that's cool um so that was a, I love where we just went with that, but going back to the team aspect and getting back to playoffs where the flip, yes. has, the switch has been flipped. Um, and I know that you guys, you talked about your mindset. And so what, take us through that, uh, the world champs kind of playoffs and, and what happened to your mindset there and moving forward. Yeah, I, I don't even know if our mindset necessarily shifted, but it just seemed like we were so dialed into what we were doing. Our game plans were so precise and very, very, I don't want to say complex, but very particular. Um, and there was like a lot of information that we had to hold on to and just having those specifics, I think it really helped narrow our focus into what we had to do and what we had to control. Um, so having that as a foundation and heading into the games just really helped us knock off options like defensively and stuff. And um, we were able to, you know, gain momentum every single step of the way uh, throughout the playoffs. And I mean, obviously we had a couple dicey moments there, like in the semis and in the finals, even where we, where we blew a big lead or we gave up a lot of points, but like when it really, really came down to it, we were just so incredibly confident in our ability to win every game. Like it was never a question. Um, and call me cocky if you want, I don't care, but 
we were just confident and knew that when it really came down to it, we were going to execute. Um, well, you can't be an elite athlete without confidence. Like to, to show up and say, yeah, I'm betting this, this 10 years of my life that I can be successful at this sport. I'm betting this, you know, $1,200 plane ticket. That's, you know, that's, you have to be confident. And if it rides a little bit on cocky to me, that's, that's okay. Like, so long as like, there's a yeah. big difference between confident where you're saying, yeah, I'm, I'm going into this game and I'm going to win and cocky where you like actually off the court, put people down and like you act as if you were, you were a better human being than them rather than yeah. just a better beach volleyball player. You know? Totally. And I don't think that our mindset is cocky at all. Um, I don't get that from your team. I, I just truly believe that even in the, the moments that were really tough and that we could have gotten worked up or nervous or, or lost a bit of focus, that's when we came together even more. And I honestly think that, you know, in the world championships and, and continuing along that path for the rest of the 2019 season, I think that that is something that was so crucial to our success is, you know, at this level, everybody's a great volleyball player, but um, I think the thing that makes Melissa and I really work is that our relationship is so good and we've really worked on knowing each other as, as athletes and as people and what we need and um, knowing that we're in it together a hundred percent just, just elevates our game as a partnership. So I've got a question here from uh, again, back when we were talking there, uh, you said that you had set a goal early on to be top 10 in the world. Mm-hmm. How do you set goals? Do you have a process for setting goals and how do you know where to set them? Um, and do you use like the whole like smart, like can it be measurable, um, attainable, whatever it is? Uh, what's your process for goal setting? And how yeah. do you- <clears throat> I guess I do use the smart technique, even though I don't like actually think about it. Um, so I've been setting goals my whole life for absolutely everything. Um, you know, one of the earliest goals I can remember setting, I was five and I, I told my parents that I wanted to be an Olympian and they were like, cool, that's cute. Um, (laughs) but, uh, but yeah, it literally shaped every decision I made from that point on. And that sounds really intense and it's kind of, I think it's scary to say that, um, and think about it. But, um, I think a big thing with, with goal setting is that you want to set short-term goals um, and long-term goals. So personally, I set a goal or a couple goals, which I consider my focal points for every single practice. Um, you know, whether that be, you know, I don't, I don't care what the situation is. I'm going to force myself to handset. That is a short-term goal and it's measurable. Was that ball handsetable? Yes. Well, you didn't do it. You didn't why um and then there's long-term goals obviously which as a five-year-old be an olympian okay um i think a big thing is you don't want to set goals that are too easy because then they lose their meaning does it Um, scare you a little bit um yeah i think they i mean scare i mean to if maybe (laughs) Um, (laughs) I think they have to be challenging, yeah. but not impossible. Yeah. So I don't know for me to say like, 
hey, I'm going to go be in the NBA. Well, first of all, that's impossible. So <laughs> stop it, you know? Um, so you don't want them to be easy. You don't want them to be impossible. You want to be able to stretch yourself and require growth to be able to get there for the long-term ones. And I think that it requires a lot of accountability. Um, you have to be honest with yourself. Um, and you have to, you know, really set your priorities to, to be able to achieve them. That but, was actually my next question. How do you keep yourself accountable? How do you keep yourself on track if you've set a long-term goal? You know, do you write it on a wall? Do you write it on your hand? Do you get a tattoo of it? Um, how, do you, how do you keep track of your goal and make sure that you're driving towards it consistently? Or do you just like set it once and kind of forget it? Um, I mean, I think it needs to be something that's important to you. Um, and I think if the goals that you're setting are important to you, you're not going to forget them. Um, I personally have never written my goals down because I've always known what I wanted. Um, and I've just structured everything to do that. Um, but yeah, if you're not passionate about the things that you're setting goals for and you don't have a reason why you're doing it, then it's, it's doomed to fail. Um, so I think, I think it, those things are, are really important to, to really love what you're doing. Um, but push I think yourself. that's huge. Anybody who's, you know, like out there working out, trying to change like a fitness program and they're like, I'm going to work out every day. All right. But what's your deeper reason? You know, what do you have to hold on to that you need to work out every day or this won't happen? Because if, yeah. if you're trying to set that everyday thing, but there's no, I don't know, carrot at the end of the road um, that you can hold on to in your mind, what is going to make you wake up at 6 a.m. before work and do it if it's not yeah. hugely important to you? Totally. And, you know, maybe along that same vein, like a better goal would be like to hit a, a goal for lifting. Like I want to squat 250 pounds or something, you know, that is a measurable goal. It's, it's probably challenging for a lot of people, but like, if you want it, that you can go get it. And why do you want to do that? Why? Because I want to be more, I want to have like stronger glute muscles because, so I can move better in the sand. Mm -hmm. I want to be explosive so I can get off the ground faster when I'm blocking. Like, there are reasons why you want to achieve that thing and it makes it more, I don't know, practical to set it. Well, um, yeah, Brandon, unless, unless you have any other questions, I mean, I could dive into your mind, Sarah, I know you're busy today, dive into your mind for hours, but um, I do want to get chunks of a little bit of video analysis from you and just talk maybe some amateur players through specific parts of a point and like what your mind is doing. So I did pull uh, the end of this first set, which kind of went crazy uh, against April and Alex. They're currently number two in the world. You guys just meet, it seems like in every final or semifinal. <laughs> yes. Um, and from my understanding, you guys have a pretty good relationship about it. Um, I'm sure that you can't be, you know, sitting there at lunch talking about how you beat each other. <laughs> but um, it's, it's a friendly, we are the four queens of the world right now. <laughs> um, and we're going to be doing battle for a while. 
This was an old game. Oh man, I don't even know. Yeah, we we tried to find your uh world champs game, but they haven't put it up yet. Yeah, they're reason. keeping that secret. I think NBC's holding on to that. Uh, oh really? Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So it's so it's nineteen eighteen here. Um <clears throat> this is two thousand eighteen Huntington Beach AVP. Uh again, at this point you're now kind of rocking. Your game is elevating. You guys are getting stronger consistently. Right. And uh, let's just talk about when you serve. Sorry, I know everybody who hates when I scrub like this. <laughs> okay. So when you serve, right, uh, first of all, if you can, what was your strategy at this time against April and Alex? Were you going middle, side? I think we've line? played them like 37 times since then. So, um, gosh, at this time. So that means that you have, you've changed your strategy against them consistently. Maybe you don't have to give us got too it, many got it, got it. here. <laughs> I have um, a feeling that you got you're gonna meet them fine, a few more that's times. Fine. There's too much on the line. No worries. How about this? When you serve, what is the first place that you run? What does your mind tell you after you serve? Like, where do you have to be? Um, get to the net as quick as possible. Um. I usually like to set up a little bit inside. Well, it depends on how the per her partner's setting, okay. but I usually set up on the player or a little bit inside um, because I find that it's way easier to adjust the block going from inside out than outside in. Okay. Um, so if I'm going to be out of position, I'd rather start being a little bit inside. Your so, mind doesn't ask you to make sure that you're covering the setter first. It says start getting inside the hitter. Um, I mean, you can usually tell pretty quick if a setter is going to go over on two or not. Okay. Um, in this particular game, I recall that Alex did not go on two. We started serving Alex, I think, and then switched. Um, so Alex had not gone on two at all. Plus, she's a bump setter. So if she's going to swing on two, she's going to have to give it away really early. Um, so that was not concerning me much at all um if there is a hand setter or somebody that likes to go over on two i do keep my eyes on them a little bit longer just for any of their tells if they're going to go over but in this particular case it wasn't necessary okay so when you serve you're running between like to the space between the setter and the person who received and your eyes say like they have to look at the setter first so you're not just running at the person that you served and like running directly in front of them your eyes are saying, uh, okay, make sure that I'm protecting the setter, my hands are up, and, and she can't hit on two. And if she does, I need to move towards her. Is that correct? Kind of accurate. Okay. So you're serving here, you start in the middle of the court. I see a lot of amateur players who will start like in front on one side or the other. Do you do you yeah. always start in the middle when your partner's serving as a blocker? Yeah, I start usually somewhere in the middle and then I adjust based on where Melissa's serving to get out of the way. Um, out of the line of vision, but I usually start in the middle and especially against a player like April who likes to take it down on two, I will hold my position in the middle a little longer, um, depending on the pass. Okay. Like this one right here. So this is a play that I see at like double A men's level, um, still open women's level where you you guys served a great ball. Melissa here served a great ball. Uh, Alex shanks it. 
I would see players leaving right now. You know, like blockers would just be saying like terrible pass and they would leave. I the mean, net. that happens internationally a lot too. <laughs> do you think that that's the right way to do it? Would you rather set up early and play defense or do you really um, want to protect that net first? How do you play it? I think you have to know your strengths um, as a bigger presence at the net and somebody who um, would prefer to block than pull. Uh, I usually stay. Because, you know, if the person does set a really good ball and it's like a 50-50 set, we're about to eat it if I'm not up there. So um, I would rather see how the play unfolds and then get off the net after. Um, there are players whose strength is to get off and dig. A lot of Brazilians you'll see do that. I would just um, say that. They're so good with their hands. Yeah, and they're smaller blockers generally. So I can see why they would choose to get off instead. My personal preference is to stay because I trust Melissa's ability to play defense behind me. And I would rather shut down as many options at the net for the hitter as possible. Okay. I like that you didn't give a, a cold, hard rule there that it's just, all right, well, my strength is blocking. That's why, you know, I'm a big threat. So I'm going to stay longer than somebody who might be smaller and has great defensive handwork. And yeah. we all know that there are players that when they peel, they are absolute trash. Like Correct. some players <laughs> cannot peel and dig. And those are the people that I'm just like, if I've played with them before, I'm like, just stay at the net. Let me take the hand. <laughs> because if you try to use your hands, you just end up getting hit in the sunglasses. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, the thing is, is like, let's say April had made a really good set right on the net. If you bail because you're a really great pole digger, there's still no excuse. Like if she freaking Yahtzee's the ball straight down, like that's your job to be there. Hmm. So I am a proponent of just seeing how the set unfolds before making a decision. And one more measurement, you know, maybe, maybe uh, Alex here, maybe she's like five, six, five, seven, and she doesn't ever go Yahtzee. Maybe that's an opportunity to peel a little bit earlier too, but because you got Alex here, and she's already 6'4", you know, so her hand's above the net when she's standing. You know that a good set is going to lead to her pounding a ball, but yeah, could be athlete-specific. Um, I love this as well, just, just as a teaching point for everybody. So they did a good job of sending a deep ball. They eliminate the on-two threat by sending the ball deep and creating a long pass and a tough set. So because Melissa has to pass this ball from the back line, she's got to pass with much more distance than usual, which puts a little bit more pressure on you as a setter, right? Especially because the, the wind is blowing that day. Yeah, I believe it was coming from Melissa's corner, actually. Um, if I was right-handed, I probably would have hit this ball. Um, but I'm not. Yeah. So that could have gotten a little dicey. Um, I give her a very bad set here. Oopsies. <laughs> oh, that's a pretty good set. <laughs> okay, so Fine. deep ball, you know, instead of just giving you a Christmas present because they can't hit, um, they choose to make sure that you have to pass from the back line. And because it's windy, they created kind of a rough situation for you guys with a long pass in a windy environment. And Melissa gets the ball to the net. Now you set her... And you say this is a crappy set. Where, how far exactly off the net do you aim to make Melissa efficient? Three feet, four feet, two feet, one foot? I like to go three feet or closer. 
Um, you know, Melissa, she's 5'9", so she's not small. She jumps well. And I would much rather, I want, as a setter, especially in transition, I want my defender to be in as great a position to score no matter what. Honestly, I am of the mindset that there is no excuse for giving a bad set. Um, so, yeah, I'm a little upset with that. The pass was a little tight, but I'm really upset with that set because I could have gotten her a lot closer. I like setting – I would rather the ball be tighter because then she can bring it back to me if it does get too tight or she can tool the block. Um, yeah. If it's too far off the net, her options are cut down, and then it makes it easier to defend. What, so, what do you What do you mean by bring it back to you if the set's too tight? Yeah, so – Sometimes if the set is too tight, a lot of people just try to power through the block or try to score anyways, but a really useful technique is to, to poke it or to even hold it into the blocker's hands and let them push it to just get a really easy cover ball because sometimes out of system, it's hard to really get a perfect rhythm attack. Um, so if you're not feeling comfortable to get a great swing on a ball, it might be easier to just like hold it, bring it back to get a really nice um, controlled second attempt. I like that. I, I, I used to call it recycling. I still call it recycling. Yeah. But like tapping the ball off the block, and this is all I did in indoor college. Like I, I had no idea how to side out, but I could see the hand, which is like kind of like, so I just put it there and I'd be like, set a big guy. <laughs> yeah. It's completely underutilized, and I don't think a lot of people realize that it's done on purpose Some like by a lot of players. So it's always like, ooh, great block. And it's like, well, that was on purpose. So a great play by the hitter, actually, um, to have the presence of mind to know that a good swing wasn't in the books that time. So let's give ourselves another chance. So awesome. here, uh, <laughs> Melissa's wide here. You guys just served. Uh, looks like you're picking on Alex during this match. Yes. So, Melissa, this is our standard kind of diagonal defense. You're in between them and you take the step out to the line. It looks like Melissa's already running there. But I yeah, don't. So that was a dive angle. That is a dive angle. So you're diving to the right. So yeah. do you guys call this a four? Or do you have like. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. You, you have your no, own. No, we don't. So that you can I know a lot it. of Americans call it a four. Our symbols are, a lot of them are very similar. Um, okay. But you have to tell us your this would be a line. four, yeah. Okay. So this means that your diving angle and Melissa is running to the line. Correct. What is, what does your mind tell you to do to make this play successful? Does the hitter have to believe that you are in the line? Um, uh, do you, do you make a late move to the line and then dive back to the angle? Or um, what's, what's like a simple process that you can tell somebody who's learning how to run a four? Um, so you want your lineup on the block to be the same every time, unless you're trying to bait them into doing something. Every time. You want to line up with the ball or the hitter in your midline. Their shoulder, their body, their path is coming right at the middle of your chest. Um, what do you mean by line the hitter up in the midline? So like, let's say that, so your base block will be like a line block. That's your base is where your body position is. So you want your, the middle of your chest 
to be on where their arm is going to contact the ball because some players contact the ball out here so you want the middle of your chest to be um, on their hitting arm okay cool um, and then every move that you're going to make if you're doing like a straight up line block or a four um, is going to be from that position so you want to let them get that visual of you in the line and then as they're swinging you jump and you take away the angle swing now on a dive angle play like this as a blocker your responsibility is to take the hard driven ball angle um, if they do a cut shot that's what you're giving up at that point um, you know melissa's there for the line shot hopefully for the hard driven line ball oops um, and <laughs> And I'm there for the hard driven angle ball. So the cut shot is what you're giving up on that particular play. Do you, do you want her to be there for the, for the hard driven line? Or is that something that you give up? Like, does she have to leave that early? Cause I know that she would have to leave really early in order to actually go from where she is making a, uh, making this is Alex or April making a, uh, Alex believe that she's in the other side of the court. So are you telling yeah. that, that when you run the bait and switch that your defender should pick up the hard driven that's a tough one because i'm like because as a blocker you're going to be lining up in the line you your presence visually when the person is taking off will hopefully detract them from hitting down the line and then because you're diving into the angle you're showing them that your body's in the line they think the angle's open so by diving into that that's why you're trying to that's the response you're trying to get it is tough to be able to dig a hard driven ball, especially if it's hit right down the line um, in this particular play, but it happens sometimes. Okay. So there you are. There's the middle of your chest, right where Alex is aiming. Yeah, it definitely looks like you're, like you were moving towards the line. You got that angle lean. So I know that different players do this differently where some of them use a full step and then they, then they go into the cross. Some people step into the line and then dive angle. And some people just hold still and then like flash their hands. Yeah. Do you dive with your body? Do you dive with your hands? And do you do anything on the ground other than lining up the same way? To make somebody believe that and if you don't want to give any of that away you're about to win up depending on what our game plan is and depending on who i'm blocking and what their tendencies are etc there are different ways that i do block angle okay um sometimes i will line up and jump into it with my whole body sometimes i will line up and just go with my arms sometimes you know i will step tall into the angle and let them see me doing it you know other times i will step tall into the angle drop down and get off the net um there are so many ways that you can mess with a with an attacker's head and i think the first way to be able to do that is to identify if the attacker is seeing the blocker or if they're paying attention to the defender um, there are not a ton of players out there who can see both um, so you have to figure out as a team are they making moves because they don't want to get blocked and they're hitting away from me or are they watching mel and just shooting around to where she's not so you have to figure out what your hitter is seeing before you can start messing around like that are there any specific 
specific tests that you can give to like a double A player where you can say, if they do this, then you know that they're looking at the blocker and not the, and not the defender. I think, well, so a big thing for me is like, if I am able to bait a hitter into doing what I want based on what my moves are at the net, mm -hmm. then I know that they're paying attention to me. For example, if I step tall into the angle and dive back into the line and they hit line anyways, they're paying attention to where I am. Got it. If Melissa is doing like, for example, if I'm standing in the angle and Melissa's starting her base in the line and they just do a little cut shot, or if they try to do a jumbo, or if they hit it right at me, they're watching where Melissa's going. If Melissa takes a fake step and they get stuck baiting into that, like they're probably watching what she's doing. So you can run a double up like once where like you block angle and Melissa defends angle. And if they rock the ball line, you know, okay, uh, this girl's looking at the, at the blocker, not the defender. But if they shoot, if they shoot, and also if they shoot over cross, you know that they're looking at you because they wouldn't shoot at, at Mel, who's back there. So maybe one or two yeah. double ups where you guys are both defending the same zone might, if you look at it the right way, it might tell you what that hitter is looking at and you can use that information later. Yeah. Like if you're making moves at the net as a blocker and none of them are working, they're not looking at you, dude. Like just stay straight up or like design plays for your defender to dig balls. Um, so yeah, it's, you can usually figure it out. Awesome. If you're paying attention. I think most people are just like, you know, they're like, they randomly throw in line cross three, four without paying attention to the result and the why of the play. There's I always find it so funny. They, somebody serves, they have a line block, or we'll say they have a cross block, and they serve, and they serve it into the net. And then they side out the next ball, and then they serve again, and they call a different block play. And it's like, well, where did the first idea go? <laughs> did that just become a bad idea because of what happened? <laughs> yeah. There definitely has to be intention behind what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's a big thing that people who don't play beach volleyball don't really understand is that there is a very high level of decision making in between the defender and the blocker for every single play. We're not just making decisions because we feel like it. It's there are definitely responses that we want to get from the other team or we're testing them to see what they will do in certain uh, circumstances. It, so much players do not do that enough and I definitely know that uh, I have not done that enough in my career of like running those little experiments and saying what happens if we change this what happens if we get the blocker moving what happens if we leave yeah. the blocker still but we get the defender moving and then trying to understand why somebody hits something because once yeah. you understand why they're doing it then you can lead them into your little traps yeah and I think like the beginning of the game is a great time to do that because at the end of the day you always have to focus on your own stuff you always have to make sure that you're siding out and taking care of your own side of the net so you don't really have to worry about like stealing points like right off the hop mm. if it's 18 17 that's when you can use the information that you've compiled all set provided that you were actually taking care of your side of the net at the same time if you know if that makes sense yeah absolutely
Uh, I love this hand dig here. We only got you for maybe three more minutes here, but I love this hand dig. You know that you're not going to get there in time, and you know that it looks like you know that Alex is pretty far off the net, so she can't hit down anyway. So you decide just to stay there and keep the hands up. Before she even hits, hands are coming up because I think you know that anything fast, the only thing fast is going to come past your head. That's why I think some defenders, they would leave their hands down when they peel because they, they're so comfortable using their platform. Um, how often, how much do you train just overhand digging? I would say anytime I pull, my hands are here because it's easy. It's a great place to be able to go high or low. I think if your hands are up here, you're not going to dig anything low. If your hands are down here, you're probably going to get hit in the face. So, you know, keeping them in a neutral position um, in front of your chest allows you to react to both. Um, when I work on pulling, my coach hits at me any way he, he wants to, quite frankly. Um, <laughs> pretty much does whatever he wants. So, yeah, he will... I'll pull, he'll shoot it over my head. I'll pull, he'll poke short. I'll pull, he'll drill it at my face. Like, I don't know what's happening. So I train in random circumstances all the time. Okay. So, so there is significant time during your training dedicated to hitting all of these weird oh, balls, yeah. like at your head, above your head, around your head. Do you pepper overhead? Do you guys pepper? We do pepper, yeah. Okay. Do you hit at each other's face or is it only platform? No, we just pepper. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I've been, the reason I'm asking, I like, I've been trying to push our players at Poly Campermosa to do like all the overhead stuff because everybody, I know players that can, that can pepper for 20 minutes straight using their platform and you ask them to hit one ball at their, at the face and dig with the hands. And that play is over in less than three rallies. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, I no, it's definitely useful. Um, it's definitely a good idea. We just don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's a rhythm. It's a meditation for you. Yeah. yeah. The overhand digs and your coach is training you. You guys are just smiling, laughing, telling jokes. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Oh, man. Cool. Um, all right. You probably had a play call here. I just want to point out to the fans and students that are watching that this play got a little bit squirrely. And I'm just looking at your hand right here at the net because maybe you had a play call, but now it's like on the other half of the court. And I think for a lot of players now it's like, well, what's line and what's cross, what's left and what's right. Um, so you reconfirm with Mel. It looks like you're doing this. Tell me if I'm wrong Yeah. with this little butt tap here. Yeah. And at that point, because she looks like she's actually going to the right, right? It looks like she's lining up on the right side of the court, and then you give this butt tap, and she starts booking it to the left. Yeah. So, I mean, our team, we do, a lot of what we do, we don't operate the way that a lot of teams do, and that we a lot of decisions we make happen in the moment. Um, based on what both of us are reading. And that might not be feasible for a lot of like beginner teams or, or amateur teams, but um, anytime, like we will have a play called for serve receive, but anytime the pass or set does not go the way that 
we expect, I'm making a different call. I'm always communicating with Mel about what I'm blocking and what side I'm taking. And is yeah. that vocal? Are you going like, hey, 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 and you know, and and hitting one side, or is um, she always like, when she's it gets always slowly, looking she at my butt, because um, <laughs> that's where I communicate what side I'm going to take. Or if I do have a play called and I say no, then we predetermine. Um, if I say no, this is what I'm doing instead. So if you like have a three, like a diving blocker play or a running defender play, um, if you have that called and then, well, we can't say it too loud. All right, but you have, you have a signal word that brings you back to a certain base defense. Yes. We can say that. Okay. Yeah. Mark and I actually had that. We played together a couple weeks ago, or months now, who knows. <laughs> But we actually had that conversation. It was something that kind of got us a little question where it was like we had a play set called and then something happened where I saw that it wasn't. So like I made a switch, but then he was questioning why. And it was so I like I, I think that that having that idea set up ahead of time. Yeah. And just being able to resort back to that, that would have made our conversation that we had literally non-existent because it would have been something that we could have done. So, yeah. I don't I'm of the belief that you can never communicate too much during a play um, because any information can be useful it's always better to say too many things than to say nothing and like another decision you can make beforehand is what side you're going to take on the two ball and so just having a play in mind if you're playing a team that that swings on two a lot. So for those of you who are out there um, <clears throat> talking about like what side to take, that's when you can release the the need to do this stuff with your fingers, like showing like what's line, what's cross. If I tap this shoulder or I tap this butt, that means that I'm blocking the left side of my court and your job is to defend the right side. So you can use just butt taps instead of finger signals and that shows you where you should be and it shows a blocker where you should be. So if you're out there, next time you play, <laughs> get used to those butt taps. But you can watch on YouTube any AVP, any FIVB match. And anytime you see a bad pass or a crazy dig, get your eyes on the blocker while you're watching that photo and watch how all of the world's best blockers just are tapping their butts nonstop during beach volleyball points because it's something you don't recognize until you actually get into an AVP until you get into an FIBB and then you realize how much in moment communication there is with signals. So just for those of you guys who are watching and you want to watch more uh, of this match of uh, Sarah and Melissa versus April and Alex, go ahead and watch it and then just check out for little butt taps and hand signals midpoint. So I just want to see if anybody right now, we got 46 people left here who have uh, wanted to hear us ramble. And if you guys have any questions, we're going to run through it really quick because we got to get Sarah out of here. And so it's a want... little bit of time, so it's okay. Okay, uh, cool. sweet. Um, go ahead and, and pop into that Q&A. Don't use the chat. Let's go into the Q&A. And if you guys have any questions at all for Sarah, uh, save your questions if you have them for me and Brandon. But if you have any questions for Sarah, go ahead and ask. Uh, Chris Moorhead asks, Sarah, are there any players who are really good at paying attention to both the defender and the blocker? And I want to add on to this. Do you switch your vision 
between blocker and defender mid-game. You know, like if one way is not working, do you stop paying attention to a certain thing or do you just stick with your comfort? Can't say it's a conscious thought process. Um, I will say that like in system, I'm able to see everything. Obviously, if things get a little wonky, I usually end up seeing the blocker instead. And that's where having a partner who can call the ball is really helpful. I would say like my focus is always to deliver a really, really good pass. So I'm putting myself in a position to be able to see the whole court at all times. But I would say somebody who's really good at seeing the whole court as well is Duda. She can unload and she will find like the smallest sliver outside your hand to hit but she's also got really good shot placement so she is really good at moving the ball around and that's why she doesn't get served is because she's able to see everything really really well on the men's side i would say well the norwegian boys do a really good job they're Christian does a really good job. He moves the ball around really, really nicely. He's in system most of the time, so that definitely helps. Again, Smedens, I think he sees the court really, really well. Just how he can, his trigger release, just like how quick and effortless. He's he's so good. If you want to see somebody who has a great arm swing, he holds it. He's got it back here just waiting, and then he can do anything he wants because he loads his arm back so quick. So I would say... Yeah, those are a couple of, of examples of people who see everything really well. Good question. Thanks, Chris. And thanks for coming to every single webinar, bro. Really, really <laughs> That's appreciate amazing. it. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so Jessica says, when someone is tooling your block, uh, do you start making adjustments? Absolutely. I am not one to really wait to make adjustments. So some adjustments you can make are to switch up your timing. Could you, uh, could you just uh, dive deep in And you can hold your squat at the bottom for a little bit longer. You can do what I call indoor timing where, so beach by its nature, you hold your block a little bit longer at the bottom than you do indoor. If somebody's really finding your hands, use indoor timing, get off the ground, show your hands really, really early. So you're in a really strong position. I like to pull my hands sometimes or... If you are up at the net and you're holding and you can see that they're actually going to, you can yank your hands when you jump. Oh, when they're, when they're like, you see that they're going to, to try yeah. your hands out of bounds. Okay. Yeah. Or you can try like a late pull. So show that you're there. And then right when they're about to swing, duck and get off the net. Um, there's a lot of different strategies that you can use to try to switch it up. Or another thing that you can do even is to get them out of their hitting rhythm. So you can serve short, you can serve it at their throat, you can take them to the ground. By switching up your serving technique and, and getting them to do what you want them to do because you are the one in control when you're serving, you can get them to do exactly what you want. It's maniacal, it's great. <laughs> it's awesome how many tools and answers and solutions you have to like one problem. I think we got six or seven different answers there to like, how do I get somebody to stop tooling my block? And you're like, well, if you go to the service line. <laughs> coming from somebody, yeah, serve better. No, just kidding. Um, coming from somebody who has been tooled a lot, I've had to devise a lot of strategies. <laughs> well, I imagine like, you know, you're up there strong, probably penetrating more than, than maybe any player on the world tour. And so it might be, that could potentially in some places be a weakness. Because if somebody comes along like me who loves using hands, I'll be like, yeah, jump up there. Let me see what I can aim at. And then I'll go. 
So you, I think like the changing of your timing when you're saying jump later so that I don't see those hands up there and I don't get comfortable with where you're set up, you would mess someone like me up pretty oh, bad yeah. um, by just by changing your timing and being later. Yeah. And you can like reframe any circumstance into an opportunity. Quite frankly, I love playing against big blockers because they don't get low. I can see them. They got the big sticks in the air, easy to tool. It's amazing. The little blockers, they duck so low, they could get completely out of your field of vision. And then all of a sudden their hands are over the net. So there are definitely opportunities in front of you for whoever you're playing. Um, don't let a big blocker scare you unless it's me. Just kidding. Um, and then, yeah, because I want to win. And if it, a smaller blocker, yeah, there's there's definitely opportunities no matter who you're playing. Uh, okay, so Mike asks, uh, what are your favorite drills to do by yourself while you're social distancing? Do you have like one fitness, uh, one fitness exercise or, or a ball drill that you're doing on your own right now? I'm working on the hand setting. So I'm literally just laying on my floor, setting to myself over and over and over. Why do you think hand setting is important? Why, why are you trying to open up that part of your game? I think it'll really open up my two ball attacking more. It's where, uh, easier to disguise my two ball. You're able to run with more consistency, like a variety of plays. Even though I, I love bump setting and I feel really comfortable and good about it, I think it'll just add another dimension to my game. So I'm hand setting a lot. I love just like going out and playing against the wall, just like set to myself, jump set against the wall or like pepper to myself um, against the wall. Just, yeah, I'm a volley nerd. So <laughs> I just go and play by myself. Um, and Mike, I, uh, in the chat, I, I posted her YouTube channel again, and she's been putting up a couple of ideas for solo use drills and uh, partner drills. So make sure you guys check that out. Yeah, definitely go follow her on Instagram, go follow her on YouTube, and check out her website, sarahpavin.com. All right. We've got two more questions. Brandon, you want to ask a question from Caleb? Yeah. Okay. So as one of the best blockers on the tour, which blockers do you look up to or watch and try to emulate some of their technique? I think we kind of already talked about that a little bit, but she said Logan Tom of who she emulates, but Logan Tom right. likely beach for one season, I think. Right. I think she tried to play AVP. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have any blockers that are on tour or that were on tour that you've tried to look at? I'm not going to lie to you. I watch men's blockers a lot i watch phil a lot ricardo i'm always who, looking who are they phil phil who personal friends using first name sorry phil dalhauser and ricardo he only needs one name just seeing the different kind of moves that they do because on a women's net being a taller woman i feel like i could do a lot of the moves that they do on the men's net so just like different strategies and, and hand positioning techniques and stuff. I, I like to watch them. I've actually, I've never really thought about, I've, I love that you said that because you're probably one of the biggest players to play on the women's side, yeah. being able to look outside of your own gender and look at some players that you feel like you could bring into the women's side is, I think that's really cool. Thanks. Yeah. They're awesome. legends and I yeah. respect them so much. So anything I can learn from them, I, I want to. For sure. Well, that's cool. Justin asks, any technique suggestions for digging the short shot after you peel? The most important thing 
when you're pulling is to be stopped. If you don't think you're far enough back, stop. If you think you're too far, stop. If you are moving in any way when the hitter is hitting, you're not going to dig anything except the ball is hit right at you. As soon as you see the player leaving the ground, stop wherever you are, and that'll help you get your body moving forward. And we saw that play. Hang on, I'm just going to share it one more time. We saw a perfect <laughs> example of that in that play that we were looking at right here. So this is where, boom, you kind of get into trouble. You're in a transition play, and you said, I'm going to make the decision to hold. Like, no one in their right mind would be playing defense here where you get stopped, but you're just like, okay, this is where I am. Yeah. They're hitting. Now let me be stable so that my hands can make a good reaction. It's a scary spot to be in. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Those hands up. That's when you can have the hands a little bit higher. Right. So cool. A uh, great piece of advice. Get stopped as soon as you can and um, be able to accelerate. And one, one of the answers that, I, that we always give our players, you got to be looking at the hitter to know if they're going short because they can give that away. Um, so if you like, if you peel and you do this, you're losing valuable information, uh, based on reading. And a lot of them, I, I, I do say, Hey, sorry, but you got to get faster. Like you have to have the leg strength to stop one motion and push off forward and like be comfortable laying down. So sprint work and like a little bit like one-legged squats, one-legged lunge work, all of that stuff that is a big answer for how you can make plays in game just like getting the short shot being able to drive off of strong legs for that shortfall um, yeah. can be an answer for some people well sarah we cannot thank you enough for coming on and sharing your knowledge with us and i, and I know everybody's got a lot out of this and uh we can chop up a bunch of these parts and put them on on youtube do you have any parting questions parting advice best uh, i'll lock you in here best piece of advice for a, a player who's coming up? My best piece of advice is just to be patient with yourself. When I first started, I thought that I was insane and that I was couldn't figure it out and I was terrible. Definitely be patient with yourself. Give yourself time. This is a really tough sport, both physically and mentally. So just get out there, get as many touches as you can and just like, you'll slowly see the improvement. I like it. I need to take that advice. <laughs> <laughs> I think I do too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Well, Sarah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, I know Mark does too. And everybody that's watching. Um, we didn't even get, I love where that conversation went, but we didn't even get to talk about the fact that you're already guaranteed to go to the Olympics in 2021 now, uh, now that they switched the dates, you guys are back in it. I'm sure you guys have wild year ahead of you with trying to reorganize and train and stuff like that. And uh, we're definitely excited to keep an eye on you. Thanks so much. And thanks for coming out all you guys. Like, I know I can't see you, but <laughs> it's cool to be able to share a little bit. And thanks to you two for having me on. It was fun. Yeah. Awesome. Very All right. Well, we will check you later, guys. Uh, if you want to stick around, me and Brandon are going to be here for a couple more minutes just to do a little of our own Q&A. But we're going to say goodbye to Sarah. Make sure you go follow her. Make sure you subscribe to her YouTube channel. We posted those in the chat. So copy paste them into your browser right now so you can follow along. 
She is already an Olympian. She's already qualified, world champion. Follow along on her journey and support her. And as you can see, that she's an amazing person and an unbelievable athlete. So um, she is somebody who you want to follow throughout the, throughout the rest of her career and beyond. Thanks, Sarah. And she's going to start posting so much more on social media. So we have so much <laughs> to look forward to. <laughs> somebody needs to keep me accountable for that. Oh, there you go. Weekly goals. Yeah, we talked yeah, about it. You got to set some goal. weekly goals. Yeah. <laughs> I need to really take my own advice. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, you guys. Say. Yeah. All right. Have a good one, Stay Sarah. Safe. Thanks again. We'll see you soon. All right. Bye. Stay safe. That was cool. Once again, killed it. I just like every time I get on, I'm like, expect like just because we know we know these players, you know, and I'm expecting myself like I'm like, oh, I'm going to learn about this. And every single time I just learned so much more I was expecting to. And <clears throat> not only so much more, but topics that I wasn't really thinking that were going to come up, you know, but um, that's kind of, it shows how different everybody is as, as players and our, even our perceptions of these athletes, I think is surprising me. Um, and in such a good way, you know, it's, it's just been such a cool experience. Yeah. I love her competitive fire where, you know, some of the other guys were kind of like, Oh, well, this is exactly what I was trying to do there. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. wait till I get that gold medal. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> but the basics of, of what she was going into and, and the thought process and how much it's, it's not like X's and O's it's strategy and what they're thinking, what everybody is thinking in the middle of the game, and trying to understand their opponents, not just like, ah, we're going to dig cross, oh, we're going to dig line. Like, this, mm -hmm. why are we doing this play right now? What in the past 10 points has led us to choose this play right now? And I think if you can't answer that, if you don't have a sound reason, like, what, because they've gotten seven hard cross kills and nothing down the line, that's why we're changing our defense now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, I just love her, how much credit she gives to her and Melissa as like a partnership and yeah. that talk, was talking about how, like one thing that I, I don't think that we, we mention a whole lot is whenever you get to being a really, really top level team, the conversations of I'm going to block line, you're going to block cross. They, it starts to get a little bit looser and when she was talking about how flexible they are within the point and kind of picking up on things and then changing calls or kind of adjusting throughout a point, whenever you get to experience that with somebody, it's amazing. You know, I, I'm, I'm sure you had it with Hudson and I know I like with Eric Lucas, who was a guy that I played with when I first started playing beach It's just, I had so much trust with him and he had so much trust with me that it was really cool to, you, you didn't really have to stress too much about what you were taking and what they were taking. Right. It was definitely like a team conversation. And I think if you watch, so now that everyone, everyone that's here um, and you understand that conversation at a little bit of a higher level, if you watch Sarah and Melissa play from now on, I think that you're going to see like how much adjusting they make throughout points. And it really it makes the game in, almost into an art, uh, which is once you can start watching that, then that's like the next level of viewership where you're starting to understand it more. And it's it's not just a sport anymore. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a like little bit more than that. How like ex-football players and like guys who played in college, 
how they watch football and then how everybody else does. You know, like they're watching the offensive and defensive line because they know that that's where the action happens and that's where the holes develop. And, you know, everybody else is like trying to find the ball in the quarterback's hands or the running back's hands so that you understand the game more fully and not just like the action point of following the ball. Right. I, I know I like for me when I when I've gone and watched some of these high level players, I've started you I've, I've realized that I've started to kind of understand the flow of the game a little bit more because my adjectives have changed. You know, like I when I used to watch it when I was just coming out of college or something like that, I'd be like, oh, that was a sick play. Like, that was freaking awesome. That was gnarly, blah, blah, blah. You know, and now I'm watching it, and I'm like, that was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, like my, my adjectives have changed, and my appreciation has gone to different points of the game, not just, like, the hard spike that gets the crowd going crazy. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, or not just, like, a, a sick athletic dig. You're like, he got him to hit right where he wanted. Right. You know, not just like, whoa, how did he get that dig? It's you see the step by step process. And the more we watch film and the more we study this and, you know, we kind of get led through these conversations, the more we can understand. Right. Um, and I think that's that's where our that's where our responsibility is. You and me is to how do we translate what these players are doing? Because I think when when we get to this level, when we're playing like professional, like you were like NBL newcomer of the year. Right. And And we're you know, I've been on the AVP for a minute and it's been, okay, everything that we do every day, we think is normal. So we just sort of like skip over it. You know, we're just like, this is how you do it. But I think mm -hmm. uh, our strength here and from what I'm hearing in my text messages and the people who send us emails afterwards, like you do a good job of sort of reshaping what these players are saying so that everyone else can understand it and break it down and, and do something useful with it. Because I think we do. We think like, oh yeah, well, this is the standard. So anybody, I have, my roommate shoots rockets into space to put satellites around the planet. And like, he works on this every day. And when you talk to him about his job, he's like, yeah, I'm just doing some engineering cubicle. And I'm just like, <laughs> no, dude, <laughs> you're shooting alien ships into the air so that they stay there for the next hundred years. Like that's insane. Yeah. Um, so you get used to this sort of like language where it's hard to break it down piece by piece so that it's digestible and also like incredible. I think we're doing a good job to, to tap ourselves on the back. Um, of, I'll give you a tap. Thanks, brother. Yeah, just don't, no touching. I think we're doing a good job of uh, making sure that people can, can understand and, and can take things away from it when these elite players might think that their conversation is standard because you forget what it was like when you were 18, 19 and you're playing your first tournament or when you're 30 and you're playing your first tournament. So guys, uh, I do... Oh, yes. We get, we're getting some, uh, some film advice. That would be awesome. Guys, if you have any questions, please, please let us know. We're still here, but we're going to close it down. We're going to shut down shop um, in a little bit. Uh, all of our replays are available uh, in less than two hours for our main draw members. So if you're a main draw member or above on betteratbeach.com, you get this replay right away. Everybody else, we take small chunks uh, and we chop it up to, to be like some of the juicier parts, but they have to go in accordance with our release schedule so that we can design our release schedule the proper way. Because, you know, we're always coming out with new courses, new training systems, and we talked a lot here about blocking. So what we do is we take these chunks and we say, wow, we got so much information from Sarah Pavin about blocking. So we're going to take these little advice chunks and we put them into 
our blocking course, which is being developed right now. And that gets tailed on to that course. So any course that you buy, any membership that you buy, whatever it is today, in two months, three months, four months, a year, it is an entirely stronger and stronger and stronger course. And the stronger it gets, most likely the, the price will be a little bit higher. So if you buy that membership now or today, you pay that price. We, we don't do like the scumbag companies do and we like increase prices on people who, are, who have already paid. Like everybody, I promise, will always get grandfathered with their price. So the course that you're buying today is gonna be twice as valuable in a year and you're gonna be paying the same price if you sign up now. So if you wanna look at those memberships, we got beginners memberships. Um, we have a rising star membership, a main draw membership. And those are main draw membership is two courses away from being completely built out, but you do want to get it now so that it doesn't increase price next time you go, um, because it's going to be more valuable, like we said. But all of those members, main draw members, get full access to every webinar replay, um, and we upload those two hours afterwards, and then we make all of the other small bits of it really pretty so that we can put it on YouTube so that our YouTube channel doesn't become sort of like unedited trash. Um, our editor would be pissed at us. <laughs> yeah. Um, Alex, thanks for coming, buddy. Um, I'll talk to you soon. So we got a slight and, production hint from someone. Yeah, Christopher, me. thanks for the, um, I'll try the light. Uh, I, unfortunately, I, I think the, ah, look at that. Yeah, I'll have, I'll, I'll have to play around next time and see if I can find something. I need to have that natural glow. I care a lot about that. So this one um, that I got is like 17 bucks. It's got a little bendable thing. It's LED. So it's cool. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I don't want to have a cold blue hue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think over time, guys, uh, if you are in those production businesses or you have any connections, we would love to get like quality microphones or anything like that. We're not coaching currently. The What we're doing is running free webinars and we do have courses built. We currently have over 140 members now uh, in our strength and conditioning program because everybody's buying into the beach volleyball 60 day strength and conditioning program. Really hope that you guys invest in that because it's awesome and it's built specifically for beach volleyball players. And yes, if you are a volleyball player, it is 100% applicable applicable so you do want to invest in that during right now because a lot of the practices maybe you can't practice with a ball that doesn't mean that the courses lose their value though because most of it is learning the whys and the hows of every little thing so that the next time you do get on the court that is when you say i know exactly where i need to be every single time and this is why i need to be there you don't want to go onto the court and then start learning how to do things because then you've wasted this opportunity that we have in quarantine, right? So I do recommend investing in those courses right now. I do recommend for sure getting the 60 day strength and conditioning program. And if you guys have any questions about them, we're happy to answer them. But the most common question that I'm getting about the 60 day strength and conditioning program is, I don't have gym equipment, what do I do? For almost every exercise, 80% of the exercises, you need one uh, volley band, so uh, a rehab band, and if you guys go to, uh, I'm gonna put it in the chat here, volleybands.com, and you enter the promo code Burrick, uh, you will get 10% off there. You're going to look at power bands, uh, so you need power bands, and then you need some hip bands, and I am also going to include those links here so that you guys can buy them um, on Amazon. 
And those are super easy to get. So just wait for a second while I give you that link. And you I think we completely understand with everything that's going on and how it's affecting our lives and everything like that. And so if, and we don't, we're not publicly saying this, this is clearly just for you guys. So definitely keep it between us. But if you are interested in a membership or you're interested in a product and something's happened in the last couple of weeks where money is an issue for you, like we don't necessarily want this to hold that to hold you back from trying to do this. I will put my email, uh, it's just Brandon at volleycamp, uh, Brandon at volleycampromosa.com. Please reach out to me and I will do whatever I can to get you on board with this and kind of keep, get you moving forward. Uh, right. We understand yeah. that this is a really tough time. And uh, we have we two people to... right now who, who are trading with us these courses for a certain number of video editing. Like we have one person who is trading this course with us to write some SEO blogs for us. We need help because our goal is to become the number one beach volleyball education resource in the world. And so, you know, it's me, Brandon and Tanya and John, and like we are working as fast as we can, but everything takes time. Like editing this one hour and a half uh, webinar takes close to seven hours just after shooting that. That's crazy. So that's, that's an entire day gone where you've ignored the rest of the stuff. So if you got a skill, if you're a writer and you love volleyball, um, if you just want to learn something, if you know video editing and you guys want to do trades that can help us grow, please, please, please get in touch. Do I need to start the program right away or do I lose it if I don't start directly? Uh, yeah, if you buy the 60-day strength and conditioning program, you have that for life. Yeah, you could do it every single off-season. Or if you never did it this off-season and you just wanted to start next off-season, you could do it then as well. But same thing, as that grows in popularity um, and as we add to it, it's going to become more expensive. Kind of keep that in mind. If you think at all you're going to be interested in it and you think it can help you, get it. <laughs> just get it. <laughs> Get it, just get it, get it. All right, yeah. that's it. Yeah, I'm up to uh, I'm up to day three. I restarted that program, making some good notes on it, and uh, gonna make those modifications too. But I am on blog number six for our strength and conditioning stuff. So adding nice. that as well. Yeah, guys, if you got special skills, if you know anybody who's got like a good microphone used for podcasting and webinar, because this is this is our new reality, and we'd love to make it a better experience for you. And I know that there's that echo sound. But if you know anybody who's got like a cheap old microphone that they don't use, that it's good for this stuff, anything, we're, we're more than happy. You can get creative with how you can help us and then we can help you. Or if you just need help, please let us know. Because we, that's, I think that's why we both became coaches and teachers because we thoroughly enjoy helping people <laughs> and helping them for sure. get better. Alrighty, well, that was fun. Thank you guys for uh, tuning in. I'm sure you loved having Sarah on. I don't know maybe at some point we can get her back on because everything leading up to the olympics i'm sure is going to be amazing for her and hopefully i can get back out there with them and train with them here soon all righty see you mark i'll talk to you later buddy Peace out, bro. thanks for having me hey man anytime awesome yeah. Elka. yeah going to sign up for strength and conditioning we'll see you in there if you have any questions post them on the comments inside the product and we will answer them right away um and you can check out our Instagram channels as well because we're doing exercises from those workouts so you can get some different ideas in case you have different equipment. Perfect. Take it easy.